Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back. Welcome back to yet again another episode of Brace for Impact. I'm your host, Nick Jeevis. And trust me, I know what you're thinking. Because I'm thinking the exact same thing. How could they let someone this blunt stay on the air without canceling or censoring them? Well, we happen to still have a few people out there who believe in truth and facts, and our guest today happens to be one of those very people. Hans von Spakovsky is an expert in the field of voting, civil rights, civil justice, the First Amendment, immigration, and a myriad of other major topics. I've seen him around. The guy used to be everywhere. He was on TV, it seemed, every other day. And he has a specialty we're going to talk about today is voter fraud voter ID, and the importance of protecting the integrity of America's ballot box. His analysis and commentary can be found in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Times, the Hill, USA Today. He's also been featured with such outlets as the National Review Online, Fox News, PJ Media, and he was also nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. So he has a very impressive resume. He knows what he's talking about. And we started off by discussing with all the things he could have done. Why did he choose to focus on this field? He said he witnessed, when he was a young man, attempts by people at a polling station to intimidate a certain sect of voters from casting their ballots. And that that incident helped him realize there was a calling to defend people against voter abuse. He went into some details also about the improvements that were being made in swing states in the present day following the mess that COVID caused. All the rules were just tossed out the window. Signature verification wasn't paid attention to. People harvested ballots. Double voting. Dead people voting. How do you bring that back? So we discussed the elements of the country's voting system that are starting to come back around to normal. But we also dug into the counter-argument to Hans's work comes mostly from Democrats and the left, and the narrative is very consistent. It even dates back to when I was in high school and a student in college, that voter ID is racist. Somehow, being asked to produce an ID that proves you are who you say you are to vote in a major election, that has something to do with race, apparently. And of course, the big one, my favorite, voter fraud's a myth. Voter fraud doesn't happen here. That's amazing given that not only is it proven that illegal aliens have voted in elections, but it's even being advocated for in certain political circles. So the fact that people from those same circles would claim that it never happens. If it can happen in other countries, why can't it happen here? I know people up, down, right, left, center, doesn't matter where on the political spectrum. They watch the rest of the globe and their elections, and we all agree here in America that there have been elections where the numbers just 
are ridiculously in favor of the incumbent, and you get the suspicion that there's fraud going on. So whatever your political ideology, to believe that politicians and their cohort here in America don't even think about cheating to gain power? Well, I'm sorry, but that's very naive and misguided. And as Hans points out in the episode, he's actually worked on a database that shows, factually, how and when individuals were found to have committed election-related crimes and infractions. We then dive into a little bit about liberal billionaire mega-donor George Soros and his apparent hatred for the American way. How he has made it his number one mission to dump millions of dollars into any cause, any candidate, any policy that will weaken the United States. And now he's doing it with elections, or he's continuing to do it with elections. His efforts began after George Bush's victory in 2000, and then his subsequent re-election in 2004 with the Secretary of State project. He noticed that in close elections, it's the state's Secretary of State that is able to make some of the final calls or influence the way the election is run. That's now seemed to trickle down into local races and district attorney races, which has resulted in rampant crime and political persecution. Now, it seemed that these were things that we as a society in America had agreed on should not exist in the United States. This thinking has also found its way into the classrooms and the education system. Young people are being taught to hate America. And I can speak to this. I remember high school, all through high school, even in grammar school, and then all the way up through college. There was this agenda to teach young people that they'd been sold a bill of goods, that it was a lie. Anything good they experienced was off the toil and sweat of other less fortunate people, and that America was an evil place that had to redeem itself for its sins. And voting aspects, these ridiculous voting claims tie into that. There's a bias running through our educators, unfortunately, today. And that's not going to help the future. As more and more people get older and young people assume the mantle of responsibility, if in the back of their head they hate America, where will we be at the end of all that? So if you love America and you want to retain your freedoms, this is a very important and vital episode to listen to and share with your friends and your family. It will not only help give you a playbook to hit back, but it will open you up to a set of true facts and hopefully shake those that are on the fence out of their apathy so that we can pull back from the brink together. So let's sit back, relax, open our minds and hearts, and take a listen to the one, the only, Hans von Spakovsky. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hans, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this important topic. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So I, I want to open up with the idea that you write about and you've studied voter ID and voter integrity. 
And I remember back around the 2010s, uh, Republicans, GOP specifically, were trying to push laws that centered on that voter ID, strengthening the ballot box. It seems COVID blew that all up and blew that away. Where is that movement at this point in time now with all that's gone on in the last several years? Well, on the one hand, COVID did something that, that I don't think was good, and that is it vastly expanded the use of mail-in ballot, mail-in voting. And the problem with that is that it's the least secure form of voting. Uh, it, it has all kinds of potential problems. It has all kinds of potential risks. Um, if you look at our election fraud database that we maintain, which has literally hundreds of proven cases of fraud in it, you find a lot of absentee ballot uh, fraud cases because, you know, it's the only kind of ballot that is vote voted outside the supervision of election officials and outside uh, the observation of poll watchers. So it, it's, it's problematical. On the other hand, the results of the 2020 election and the, the controversies over that presidential election actually led uh, a number of states to pass significant reforms that actually improved uh, the security of their elections. You know, Georgia did that, Texas did it, Florida, and a whole number of other states actually did make improvements. So from that standpoint, I got to tell you, I, I think it, we're, we're actually in better shape today than we were in 2020. Although, like a lot of things, it depends on what state you're in. Exactly. And that's another uh, issue that we see in these purple states. We have such razor thin margins deciding these elections, you know, three or four states by such thin uh, votes, the thin amount of votes. But how do you respond when it seems like anyone on the left or anyone that's a Democrat, when you talk to them about this issue, the first word out of their mouth is myth. Voter fraud is a myth. Voter ID abuse is a myth. And then they even went to say that having an ID is some form of racism. Uh, how do you respond to some of those more general accusations that are made from the left that say, no, 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 there's nothing to see here. There's no fraud. There's no, these are the right numbers. Don't question it. Uh, what do you say to them? Uh, what I answer with is facts and evidence. I mean, first of all, look, our election fraud database that I mentioned only has proven cases of fraud in it. Okay. That's someone's been convicted in a court of law or, or a court has found fraud and ordered a new election. Um, we're up to, we only started this a couple of years ago. We're up to 1,422 cases. And we're about to add uh, more, and we're constantly adding more cases to it. So, look, do we have mass fraud in this country? No. But we have it often enough, and it, it occurs frequently enough, that we need to be concerned about it. And, you know, some of it is isolated cases. You know, it's one person cheating, like a case we just added where uh, a father in Florida, he voted and then he uh, submitted a ballot pretending to be his son, okay? <laughs> On the other hand, we have cases where uh, there was actually a conspiracy intended to overturn an election. Um, you know, we added a case not too long ago out of Compton, California. Remember the movie, uh, uh, Right Out of Compton? Well, Straight Out of Compton. Straight yeah. Out of Compton. <laughs> Look, a judge last summer uh, overturned an election there. An election had been cited by one vote, a city council race. And the city council member who won that race, along with about half a dozen individuals, were all found guilty of election fraud. So we have fraud and we need to take steps uh, against it. And you know what? 
I don't really care what critics say. But why? Because the American people agree with us. For example, on voter ID, all the polls, and it doesn't matter whether they're polls from like conservative organizations or liberal organizations like the Washington Post, all of them show that an overwhelming of majority, regardless of which political party they support and regardless of their race, say requiring an ID to vote. Of course, that's common sense. Common sense. Yeah, Jinx <laughs> said the same word. It's I think anyone, it's a one plus one equals two equation. And yet it's fought so hard on certain levels where people say, no, it's, it's not what we should do. So what got you into this field? What interested you enough about election integrity and voter ID? Uh, what made this your mission as far as your work? Well, I was uh, a practicing lawyer in Atlanta a long time ago. And I volunteered to be a poll watcher in an uh, upcoming county commission race. And um, I expected to have a very boring day. And the polling place I walked into, um, I couldn't believe it. The the people who worked at the the registration desk, you know, where voters go up and say, I'm I'm so-and-so, I live at this and this address. And they check to see whether they're a registered voter. the people working there were saying, well, are you a Republican or a Democrat? And they were clearly trying to intimidate yeah. people of one polit- uh, particular political party, because this was an overwhelmingly uh, Democratic uh, precinct. And they were trying to, I think, intimidate Republicans into not voting. And that showed me, well, you know, we're a good country. We try to do the right thing, but there are places where the wrong thing is being done when it comes to voting. And that that really got me interested in this. It was a calling, I guess you could say, because of that that incident. Do you think then that people in your experience, because you have a, a huge array of you know r- books and papers and initiatives you've worked on, do you think people are starting to take those lower, farther down the ticket races more seriously as we see DAs with all this power. Do you think people are starting to wake up and then the pendulum swinging back that they're paying attention more at the ballot box? Yes, I I think they very much are. In particular, um, look, what's what's more basic to the average American than crime in their neighborhoods, right? And what have we seen happen in the last couple of years? We've had seen these Soros supported progressive prosecutors uh, getting uh, elected in cities and counties coming in and saying, oh, uh, like like Alvin Bragg in, in New York, guess what? We're not going to prosecute any misdemeanors. Uh, felonies? Uh, well, most of those, more than half, uh, we're not going to prosecute those either. And what have we seen? Rising crime rates everywhere, people getting killed robbed, assaulted. And uh, how can you change that? At the ballot box, depending on who you vote for, for the local DA. So people, I think, really understand the importance of this, particularly down at the grassroots level. Yes. And I spoke to one of your colleagues uh, over at Heritage that also focuses in this. And we were talking about a paper he'd authored uh, and just discussing voting in general and how these DAs are funded by mega donor, George Soros, as you mentioned, and that they're almost on purpose trying to create chaos. And it looks like it's not it's it's willful that 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 to me is insane. That's like a cop becoming a cop and then, you know, putting his gun and badge down and just saying, well, I can't stop every crime. 
how is that even possible that it's gotten this far? Some of them don't even get recalled. It's like, how, how can people in cities where those DAs are embedded, what, is there any way to, other than through the ballot box? That seems like it's the only way to have voter integrity. I think it's only through the ballot box. Um, I, I think folks, you know, they may, I, I think for a long time, people have paid attention to who they're voting for for president. And maybe U.S. Senator, maybe their local, their, their congressman or congresswoman. I just don't think they paid much attention to a lot of these local races, the ones that really affect their everyday lives. And now I think, uh, they're realizing, I mean, uh, 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 consider the fact that, look, San Francisco is probably what, one of the most liberal cities in the country. And yet even the voters there got rid of one of these liberal prosecutors who refused to prosecute crimes because the city is, has been becoming unlivable for the average person. All right, folks, I know we're rolling, but we're going to have to take a quick break. However, we will be right back with more from Hans von Spakovsky. Don't go anywhere. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Howdy out there, you crazy animals. Welcome back. Welcome back. Hope you're ready for some more from Hans von Spakovsky. As the great Ron Burgundy would say, ham and eggs coming at you, people. Hope you got out your griddles. Let's dive back into these deep waters of the world of U.S. elections. Here we go. It looks like Soros's influence is he wants the world to become more globalized. And is that the mission? Because I, I'm trying to figure out what the motive is to destroy the cities of America with this kind of crime and chaos. And I don't, I'm, I'm having trouble coming up with a, a direct answer. Do you have any theories as to how and why this is going on? It would be pure speculation, but I think he really doesn't like the United States. I can, I would agree. It seems. And, <laughs> and I think he's got the money to money to do things like fund these, these crazy radical left-wing prosecutors, uh, that will then, uh, engage in actions that lead to to rising crime rates and cause chaos in in these cities and i i think it's 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 intentional it seems to be it's like why else would you risk all of this if spinning out of control and that brings me to my other point i wanted to ask you about in this episode it seems like we're not teaching our young people as much about civics anymore in school and i was wondering do you did you ever look into that or did you ever think about that if children were more armed with the idea of voting or it was pushed home harder in high school and college that maybe things like this would course correct? Maybe things like this wouldn't happen as much. Or is it just a matter of you have to live through it and have the crime hit you and have the school board meetings hit you before you can wake up and vote? Can we get them early? Can we get people earlier, I guess, educated on this? No, I, I think we do need more of that. But look, but look, that points to another big problem, which is the what kids are being taught in their schools today. You know, the, the kind of American history that I took is not what's being taught today. They're being taught to hate America, to view America as the greatest evil in the world. And 
that's that's not exactly going to help us uh, fix fix this problem. No, no, it's not. But you have you know listed out some uh, ways in which it can happen, at which this we can come back and restore confidence in our elections and integrity in our elections. Other than voter ID, what are two or three other of your main suggestions throughout your studies and your papers and your books that you think should be enacted or that could be enacted quickly that could help contain this? Um, well, look, there's a problem with um, people who are not U.S. citizens registering and voting all over the country because it's easy to do. And your chances of getting caught are very slim. And in addition to requiring an ID, states need to start um, verifying citizenship. And frankly, they need to require proof of citizenship when individuals register. Um, the, the other thing that they need to do a better job of is uh, cleaning up and maintaining the accuracy of their voter registration rolls. Um, they are in sad shape. Uh, in many states across the country, and uh, they need to do a better job. The, the methods for doing that are not that difficult. I mean, some of them are just very basic, which, you know, when I mention this, and, and you find out that some states aren't doing this, people just shake their heads. I mean, and, and an example of that is, look, obviously states need to uh, uh, frequently compare their statewide voter registration list to their DMV list. You know, if somebody goes in, uh, for example, and uh, cancels their driver's license because they're moving to another state, obviously that information needs to be sent to election officials to register that, to, to cancel that person's registration so that they don't, when they've moved to the other state, uh, send a, a, a request for an absentee ballot to get mailed to them and vote in the state. And believe me, we've got cases like that of people who have moved to a different state but stayed registered in their old state and vote in, have voted in both states. But just that simple thing, comparing your DMV list with your statewide voter registration list would help clean up voter rolls, but some states aren't even doing that. No, no, they don't want, it doesn't seem like they want to. And I worked on the film 2000 Mules as a researcher and a writer with uh, D'Souza. And we looked at some footage, you know, some of these close camera footage of the drop boxes that they had for COVID. It didn't take a lot of individuals flipping votes or, you know, harvesting ballots from the dead, or like you said, the double voting, the people that left behind their ballots in a swing state and moved to a different state. And it just it's scary sometimes to look at how easy it is to flip the system when you're working with all this, this is more on the personal end of things. How do you cope with this information? It seems very overwhelming. It seems very at times maybe hopeless in cer certain parts of the country, at least. Is there any uh, thing that calms you down? Do you read a book that's just not about politics and election theory? Do you, you know, do you have a favorite movie or a, a music or a, how, how do you cope with so much information? Because I don't know if I'd be able to do it without something to to balance it out. You know, I have to admit that I like to get away from this stuff on weekends. And uh, I do two things. I, I like going I like going on old-fashioned road trips. Nice. And I, I live in Virginia where it's easy to do that. Uh, but I, I also, I love old movies. Favorite movie? I, I like old movies, particularly those from the golden age of Hollywood. And uh, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of uh, those too. Do you have any favorites that come off the top of your head when I say favorite movie or favorite film? You have a couple nominees for us? Well, I, I have to say uh, the number one movie in my book is, of course, Casablanca. Great choice. Which is a great, a great film, which I recently got to see on the big screen. Oh, nice. How'd that happen? 
Well, uh, one of the local theaters was actually showing Casablanca. It was an anniversary of the movie. And so rather than seeing it on a small TV, I got to see it on the big screen, which is great. That's awesome. That's so cool. And uh, the same thing, and this is more, you know, advice for people out there that are listening because, you know, we have that D.C. culture. I live in Washington, D.C. as well, near you in Virginia. And is there a... Is there any, what pumps you up the most about doing what you do? Because I feel like, again, you get away from it, yes. But then when you come back to it on Monday and you see so much turmoil and so much of this uh, you know, voting chaos, what do you do in the moment to stay in the zone, to stay focused? Is there anything, uh, any advice you could share maybe for our listeners? Look, when, when, like I said, a lot of states have actually improved things. When I see states do good things, like passing a law that actually requires an ID to vote, uh, that makes me feel really good. And the reason for that is, uh, as you can probably tell from my name, look, I'm, I'm first-generation American. I'm a son of immigrants. And, you know, my mother grew up in Nazi Germany. My father escaped was Russian, escaped communism twice. And anything I can do to, that helps enhance our democratic system and protect the, the right of people to vote, um, and frankly, that makes me feel good, and I, and I like doing that kind of work. That's, a, that's an amazing fact. I didn't know that about you, that you uh, that both your parents. Um, but in that, did that shape you then with how you look at America and how you respect the country and you like the way it's set up? And do you think, do you think it's tilting the other way? Do you think that people... It's, uh, now that, so that is a big deal, right? That we're, that we're shifting. It's tilting toward... It's unfortunately tilting in the wrong way. I mean, wh- when you see, for example... Um, speakers at colleges being shouted down and and attacked by mobs and things like that well i gotta tell you that's uh that's unfortunately similar to stories i heard from my mother about what started happening in germany in the 1930s and uh i the the fact that that is accepted and approved by some school administrators because they don't like the particular point of view being expressed. That goes against uh, everything this country was founded on and our, our First Amendment, which they just seem to be dismissing as something that's unimportant. It's almost surreal. My uh, father's uh, parents are from Greece, and I remember him telling me that my grandmother would always tell my father, you should kiss the ground you walk on, that you were born here. You were lucky enough to be born in America. And I think what you do, the work you do, is a huge part of us keeping that alive. If your vote isn't being counted and people are being put in positions of power that did not get the votes, or if it's even, there's a cloud of doubt even, it seems like that's escalating as well. Do you think we're headed for a future where no matter who the winner is, they're going to get questioned. It's going to be, well, it couldn't have happened, right? Like if, say, Trump were to come back and win in 24, people would say, ah, you know, it's, it's, it can't be possible. We're going to persecute the winner and vice versa. If Biden won again, they, or do you think we can come back to civility like we used to have? I think we can, but it takes, it takes work. You know, it takes the work of actually improving uh, the election process in the states. You know, Georgia, for example, which was very controversial, what happened there, they've done a lot to actually improve uh, the security of their elections. On the other hand, you have places like California and New York, which are some of the worst states in the entire country. And um, I, I wouldn't be confident in those states. I'd be much more confident in the states like uh, Georgia, Florida, Texas that have, have actually tried to make things better. 
that's and there is you're right there are bright spots there were some in the aftermath of the confusion you're right they passed legislation and they passed measures that were hopefully to course correct us again back on where we used to be but as a um as a litigator too and as an author and as a, a source on all of this you had a lot of in your bio a lot of different topics that you do not just voter id and voter fraud What's the most important? Is it the First Amendment? Is that the most important issue we should be focusing on? If there's only one to, to put at the top for our listenership, what would you say is the most important to be reading up on and getting involved with? I think the First Amendment, because, you know, that not only do we have this movement to prevent people from speaking um, in many different locations, you know, we now have uh, these big tech companies which have huge control over the flow of information in this country. Uh, and, and what did we learn recently? That we had government agencies, law enforcement agencies, like the FBI, secretly going to uh, social media platforms and saying, oh, you need to cancel these accounts. You need to can withdraw these opinions. Uh, that is extremely dangerous to have that happening um, and so far, nothing's really been done to stop that. Heck, heck, when they when this news came out about the FBI, they were totally unapologetic about it. That's the scary part, too. It seems that we used to have an era of, of politics debate of civility where if you were caught with something or you were called out in the right way, you had to back down. You had to give an, an answer, an excuse, something. Now it's we're just not going to debate the opponent. We're not going to hold a press conference. We're not going to reply. That sounds more like Nazi Germany as well to me. That it's just, we're just going to keep moving. We're just going to keep the tank rolling down and on the street. And it doesn't matter what liberties get crushed underneath. What can, as the audience listens, what can individuals do that maybe aren't in our industry? How can they help push back against this pendulum swinging in the wrong direction? Is there anything they can do individually as a citizen? Look, this is happening in local, this is happening down in local communities too. I mean, think about... Think about how parents started showing up a year, year and a half ago at school board meetings when they started finding out about some of the, the poison being taught to their children, and you had school boards and others arresting them. You had the Attorney General of the United States forming a criminal task force uh, over this, and what that means is folks at the local level, they got to get involved. Attend your local school board meetings. If you have a local county election board that runs your elections, show up at their public meetings. Ask questions. Find out what they're doing. County commission, city council meetings. Uh, you need to show up. Find out what those officials are doing. Ask questions. And you know what? If you don't like them, get organized. You run yourself for those offices or find other people who run for them and replace them. Bingo. I love it. Start stirring the pot because it's time, peacefully, of course, time to stand up and, and start uh, speaking out, I think, as well. So before we close here, uh, I want to just end by asking you uh, a more personal aside. When I say to you, uh, who is your biggest influence? Is there a hero of yours, a quote, something inspirational that helps drive you and inspire you to stay in this fight that you can share with us that might also resonate out there? I, it's very per personal. It was uh, my, my father. Oh. You know, my father, like I said, my father was Russian. He fought, um, he fought the communists twice. Uh, he had to flee his home country 
He then had to flee his adopted country, and he finally came to the, the arrived in the U.S. Thank goodness. Um, and uh, I always figure, no matter what happens to me, you know, no matter what kind of criticisms I get, it's nothing compared to what he lives through. So that that gives me a lot of inspiration. That's awesome. That's a great perspective. Uh, I, I, you and I share not as the, the much of a direct line, but I think about my grandparents too in Greece, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, we have running water, uh, we have uh, food, we have shelter, even the poorest of us have opportunity. We hit the jackpot. So why would we want to destroy that and then keep that alive? Wans, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I really hope to have you back in the future. We can do maybe a deep dive on one of these stories that I'm sure is going to come out. It looks like there's a lot of back and forth on this issue and an election year is coming up. So, uh, but one final question though, before we cut off, do you expect expect 2024 due to these laws to be maybe more say, and this is, I know this is speculation, but clear, a little more clear cut or less chaotic, or do you think it's going to take, like you said, a few more cycles? Okay. So you expect to see the improvement show in November. I think the 24 election will be clearer and, and better. Awesome. Well, that's, that's one piece of good news to add to the, the pile along with the, uh, the other states making those moves. So, well, thank you again. I know you're very busy and we really appreciate your wisdom and your stories. And I hope to have you back on soon, Hans. Sure thing. Anytime. All right, everyone, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but we will be right back with more Brace for Impact. Don't go anywhere. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, what can you say to that? What a story Hans had. I, I knew a little bit about his parents and his background, but wow. That's something else. Now, I have a few thoughts about this episode, but I'll keep this one as brief as I can. Because honestly, I don't think there are many ways to say what I'm about to say. Our election system is under attack. And I don't throw that word around lightly. Now, I'm not asserting anyone specific or anything specific is cheating enough to tip the scales one way or the other. I'm not an election investigator. I am saying that our standards for voter security have slipped so low that it creates doubt in people's minds, especially the party that loses. And then they begin to think that it's possible the election was tipped or stolen and chaos ensues because of it. Not where you want to find yourself as a country, especially given how divisive other issues have been as of late in the U.S. I can also speak with some of my own authority on this issue, especially when it comes to voter violations and fraud, because I was a researcher and a writer on Dinesh D'Souza's documentary, 2,000 Mules. I encourage you to watch it. Also helped him write a little bit of the book. Now, you don't have to agree with D'Souza, or even the movie, to recognize that there is money to be made and power to be taken through the manipulation of votes. And what better time to pull this move in droves than when everyone was knocked out from COVID, vulnerable, and had been mass-mailed ballots without even asking for them? And in the midst of all this, we have one side of the aisle saying that they would do anything and everything they could to remove Trump from office. And we're not supposed to question any of it. That doesn't make sense. 
Now, the frustration of voter fraud and how our leaders are handling it aside, when people say something this strongly, that there's nothing to see here, no, it's a myth, usually, in my humble experience, they're hiding something. And this issue, it isn't even a right or left issue. It's something we've discussed on this show before. The issue, my friends, is escalation. If one side makes a major move that is questionable, or attempts in any way to circumvent the rules, then the other side of the aisle is going to take the privilege next time they're in the driver's seat. And back and forth we'll go, nip and tuck, until we've watched our freedoms and our election system die the death of a thousand paper cuts. Now, as many of you already know, it doesn't take much to swing an election in the United States. Some purple states that decide the final outcome are certified with such thin margins. How is it that this topic is so off limits and crazy when indeed it's not impossible to accomplish? And I'm not saying that I'm looking forward to a day when the center-right gets its seat at the table and is able to hit back. No, 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 no. I miss the days when in this country we had two different parties, but they were both still looking out for American interests, just from different angles. Now it seems it's extreme. It's one side or the other. It's you believe in empowering America to be a success on the world stage and to help check the evil that exists in other countries. Or you have an axe to grind and you want to see all this goodness redistributed and global dominance transferred to nations like China. So I think it would be a lot less divisive, the issue of fraud or the issue of who won the election, if it wasn't two completely different choices. You know, I'll never forget something I once saw on TV. I was watching Dinesh D'Souza, and this I think was before I met him in person. Because I'd interviewed him while he was in confinement. I was working at the Daily Caller. But I think just before that, I saw a clip of him giving a lecture. And he warned that if America didn't change its outlook and address some of these radically globalist policies that hurting the country, that nations like Russia and China would seize on that opportunity and begin to have the sort of power that the U.S. has held since World War II. And that that world would become a much darker and scarier place to live in. When topics like this of election integrity are completely ignored and children are not brought up to investigate them or question them, but they're instead taught to hate the nation, then that's the future we're going to get. And it will be the future we deserve because those who should have been fighting to keep America's benevolence and ability to check dictators intact were in fact exercising hatred and political parlor tricks aimed at satisfying a personal agenda. Now, Hans made the point well that the U.S. is beginning to look a lot more like communist Russia and Nazi Germany. And that quote from him brought a speech to mind that I remembered from Winston Churchill when England was at risk of being surrounded by the Nazis. This was basically Churchill's cry for help to the United States, the last gasp. And the way he described America was not only beautiful, but it was true. And it was a strong America that came into that war and sacrificed countless young men, spent millions of dollars in those days. 
and sacrificed so much spirit and will so that the world might know peace. My hope is that a new generation of leaders recognizes that without the West, hope of a peaceful and a free world might be lost to us forever. So with that in mind, I'd like to read a portion of Churchill's speech, and then we'll close out the episode. Even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen or may fall into the grip of the Gestapo and all the odious apparatus of the Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And if, which I do not for a moment believe, this island or a large part of it were subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old. So do you listeners out there continue to keep the faith and remember that nothing is impossible, that if we secure the vote and make certain that the will of the people is being done, there's nothing we can't accomplish. Please remember to like and subscribe and follow the show as we build our audience out and join us again next time. And never forget to brace for impact. Thank you.